Hello and welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of APRA and the National Boards. This week we're celebrating the launch of the National Scheme's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health and Cultural Safety Strategy. The strategy has four objectives, cultural safety, increased participation, greater access and influence, which combine to fulfil the vision that patient safety for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples is the norm. We recognise that patient safety includes the inextricably linked elements of clinical and cultural safety and that this link must be defined by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. In this podcast, I discuss the strategy with one of the incoming and one of the inaugural co-chairs of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health Strategy Group, Carl Briscoe and Professor Gregory Phillips. Welcome. Carl, would you like to introduce yourself? So thank you for this opportunity to participate today. From the outset, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. My name's Carl Briscoe. I'm a Googie LNG man from the Mossman Daintree area in far north Queensland. I'm also the incoming co-chair of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health Strategy Group for the implementation the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health and Cultural Safety Strategy 2020 to 2025. Great. Thanks, Carl. Greg? Hello, everybody. Uh, Greg Phillips. I'm Wanyi Njaru, public health academic and medical anthropologist by training, and I'm the inaugural co-chair of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health Strategy Group. Fantastic. So we're here to talk about the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health and Cultural Safety Strategy 2020 to 2025. I'm wondering, Greg, if you can start by sharing about how this National Scheme's Health and Cultural Safety Strategy came about. Almost by accident, except nothing's by accident. Um, I gave a speech with Joe Flynn and some medical colleges. It was an international meeting of medical colleges in Sydney in 2016, um, and myself and Papa Rangi Reid from uh, Aotearoa put on the agenda racism as a public health issue with medical colleges. Um, Joe was still at the time chair of the Medical Board of Australia and um, had a bit to do with APRA, obviously. Um, and I think she was uh, chair of the organising committee for the combined meeting that year or, or head of the scientific committee, I think. Anyway, an invitation came from Joe for me to speak um, and I gave a uh, introductory presentation to that inaugural NRAS um, scheme meeting. Um, again, putting on the agenda racism as a public health issue and talking about what cultural safety could mean in action. Um, APRA, but so it was sort of by accident that I got involved in APRA from that speech, that speech then went into a workshop where we invited a range of Aboriginal um, and Torres Strait Islander health leaders from around the country to come and meet with APRA. But actually that wasn't the start because there's been a long history of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people involved in all different health professions in APRA, in the scheme, um, over the years in terms of advocacy at education level, at re regulation level and accreditation. So really I kind of see our work as a culmination of a whole lot of work and we're trying to mm. bring it all together. So Carl... What is the National Scheme's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health and Cultural Safety Strategy 2020 to 2025 and what does it aim to achieve? So the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health and Cultural Safety Strategy fundamentally seeks to achieve a healthcare system that is responsive to the needs of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. 
It's about ensuring a transparent and equitable healthcare system in Mm. which the social and cultural determinants of health are addressed and the ongoing impacts of colonial consultation are taken into account. Uh, Also, looking at institutionalised racism is acknowledged and tackled and cultural safety training is recognised and valued as an important step in improving uh, outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. I suppose the other perspective is the voices and contributions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are embedded across the healthcare system. This includes ensuring our people are actively leading the design, delivery and control of health services and are entrenched as an integral part of the healthcare teams and settings across the country. We really are trying to get consistency across the professions um, within the scheme. Um, We know nurses have done a lot of work in the Aboriginal health space and cultural safety space for many years, um, as have um, medicine, social work, psychology, um, uh, dentistry are coming along, OT and physio and all those other groups are making contributions now. Um, But what we're clear on is that there wasn't really consistency across all of those groups in terms of either accreditation or regulation. And so we can't standardise, obviously, um, across the scheme, but we certainly can attempt to coordinate and provide consistency about what cultural safety is, um, about how to measure it, about how to apply it, um, and what it might look like. Um, So you've spoken a bit about um, practitioners and those areas of health practice. What will the strategy mean for communities? Well, our ultimate goal is that this leads to improved outcomes, health outcomes. Um, We can't close the gap unless we have a health workforce that is culturally safe and that knows um, the similarities and the differences between cultural safety and Aboriginal health. Mm. Um, And um, we're not going to be able to... I mean, in Victoria, for example, we know that a third of the gap... um, in life expectancy is due to racism. Um, We have quantifiable data about that now. So quite literally, we're not going to close the gap without a health workforce that's trained and prepared and enabled. Carl, do you have anything to add about how the strategy will influence healthcare across all levels? Yeah, I think it'll lead to uh, more of a consistent approach to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health across occupations and roles. I also think that the strengthening of cultural safety and quality standards and fostering a collaboration across and between professions, uh, enabling the sharing of good practice Mm. to foster interprofessional learning approaches. Mm. In communities, these reforms, and as Greg alluded to, you know, should all lead to improved health outcomes. I also think it's important to recognise that cultural safety is determined by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander individuals, families and communities. Mm. And in that, in that regard, I hope that the strategy looks to <clears throat> people having more control and autonomy over their, their health care. Greg, the national scheme is here to protect the public. How does the strategy contribute to that goal? Well, obviously, 
the limitations for the scheme's work is in terms of practitioner groups regulation. Mm-hmm. So we can do as much as we can within that ambit about ensuring consistency and ensuring um, quality improvement and better measurement over time. Mm. One of the other things we've started a conversation with now that we've got a strategy in place is to start talking to uh, workplace regulators and employers, right? For example, um, TEXA and other regulators that all impact on health outcomes. It's not only practitioner professional groups but it is workplaces employers um, and professional bodies that we need to be speaking with as well racism uh, has had and continues to have a real and damaging impact on the health of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people so embedding a focus on the delivery of culturally safe practice across the healthcare system seeks to ensure that our people are protected from this harm I suppose uh, research continues to demonstrate that cultural safety and strong relationships between primary health care services and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, they're intrinsically linked to the clinical and cultural safety and patient protect and client protection. Mm. Yeah, I mean... That's absolutely right. Cultural safety is not something extra to clinical safety or patient safety. It's a critical part of it. Mm. Um, And one of the practical things um, the scheme and APRA are going to start doing now is to review the notifications process from an Aboriginal point of view and see are there um, some things that we can uh, do to make that process more accessible for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities um, very few Aboriginal people know who APRA is or the scheme or what it is or what we do or how to make a notification or a complaint if they wanted to. So there's a whole lot of um, public education and communications and access issues there. Um, you know, once if somebody decides to complain or make a notification, what's the culturally appropriate process for that person to be heard and for that uh, claim to be assessed fairly for all concerned? So that's quite a big piece of work and that's one of the practical things I think that um, the strategy um, foreshadows. Carl, could you share some other key work or outcomes that the strategy has been working on? The strategy has led some real tangible actions, you know, and they're they're taking place currently as we speak. You know, the statement of intent being signed by all health professionals you know, goes some way to recognising that. But I also think the definition of cultural safety being agreed upon with all professions within APRA, as well as, you know, the engagement of cultural safety training, that's quite, you know, a remarkable achievement in the short space of time. I think the highlights is um, getting 37 national groups to agree on anything. Um, So, (laughs) um, you know, with the statement of intent and now with the strategy, I think that's a great achievement. Um, I think getting alignment with accrediting authorities and boards in terms of purpose and where we should be going in Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander health. Um, I think the cultural safety training for boards and staff is a great step forward. And uh, I think the definition, yeah, as Carl was saying, is um, seemingly... uh, a small step, but actually it's a big step to get all of those groups to agree on something. Mentioning lots of groups and organisations. Carl, could you talk us through who um, is responsible and held accountable on driving outcomes in the strategy? 
everyone, you know, cultural safety is everyone's responsibility. It's not up to one individual. Yep. You know, I suppose improving the and embedding like voices and pers perspectives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, you know, across the scheme, you know, that's and in terms of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leadership, you know, they have to be at the governance level to ensure that the implementation of the strategy, you know, is actually um, is implemented in a culturally safe manner and, um, you know, that cultural considerations are actually considered, you know, in terms of every individual, you know, looking you know, at cultural biases, you know, that they bring, you know, to the, to the workplace, um, privileges and also power imbalances around um, individual groups. You know, I think that the, <clears throat> um, that's quite important to embedding cultural safety across the Scheme. I just wanted to add this, a couple of the other things we've done is um, made some submissions and recommendations to the accreditation review, to the national law, last tranche of changes, um, and we've been working with um, the shared code of conduct and the medicine and nursing boards over their codes of conduct. It's a huge body of work. It's really a first in, in a lot of things that um, the group has achieved, which is fantastic. As inaugural chair, what are some of the challenges and also wearing your other hats, what are some of the challenges that you've faced in driving change in this mm. system? Well, the first thing I was clear about that we weren't going to be an advisory committee of APRA or the scheme, that we would be um, an independent group of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health leaders and organisations who would be quite willing to partner with APRA and the scheme on an equal footing. So that's quite new. A lot of big mainstream organisations and institutions don't normally work in that way. And we were very clear from the start that one of the uh, very strong principles that this work must rest on is self-determination for Aboriginal peoples um, because the evidence shows self-determination will lead to better health outcomes. Um, so to the scheme and APRA's credit, they have uh, worked with us in that regard and so that's why we have uh, the strategy group that's a partnership between independent Aboriginal health organisations and leaders and um, scheme representatives and um, groups from across, from across APRA as well. So that was, um, it wasn't a challenge but it was new, um, a new way of working. That sometimes means that there's a bit of tension in terms of the normal way of doing things within um, the scheme and APRA. So things like um, employment processes, communication processes, um, procurement processes, all these sorts of regular internal operational um, systems, um, sometimes they have to be reviewed um, and made culturally appropriate. It's not that um, Aboriginal people are saying we need special treatment. It's saying that we need cultural safety for us to be able to have safe workplaces to work in. Mm. Um, and to Upper's credit, you know, we've, we've both taught each other a few things and made some mistakes along the way, but, you know, we've just agreed that in relationship, that's what you do. It's you um, give and take and you learn a bit and, um, you know, two steps forward, one step back, but we'll get there in the end. And... So that's been a really, I think the innovation in this, apart from the body of work we've produced, is 
um, the attempt at working in a new way, mm. the attempt at working in a way that respects Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's self-determination and sovereignty, but also obviously respects the authority. And um, Driving reform is never easy. Ultimately, you know, true reforms about coming up with new ways of working, you know, development of new goals and processes and practices uh, in order to achieve the results we want to see. Um, although the pace of change is slow, you know, we still have a long way to go. The establishment of mechanisms like APRA's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Strategy Group, the Statement of Intent, and the National Schemes Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health and Cultural Safety Strategy Yeah, I, I think the other innovation um, for us is um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health is not just good for us and cultural safety is not just good for Indigenous people, it's actually good for everyone. And um, in a practical sense, that aim to balance the authority of each individual accrediting authority and board um, with the collective good, mm. shall we say, is not an easy one mm. <laughs> within a group like APRA for any group. Um, and that's what we're really attempting to do here is we're trying to say, look, working in partnership with community rather than in an advisory um, format is the best way to get outcomes, A, for all groups, and B, um, working in a way that tries to find the balance and get consistency across the scheme but still respecting each individual you know, practitioner group's needs um, that's not always an easy mix. No. And so we've had an attempt at that and we think that we've, we're pretty close to getting a good balance. But all of that rests on... See, it could be very easy for us to, to come in and partner and write a statement of intent and write a strategy and then off we go and, you know, we think it's done. But we all know culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's not really just about what's written or what the strategy is. It's about how you do it. And from an Aboriginal point of view and Torres Strait Islander point of view, our knowledges are all based on respect for each other and respect for the land. And so if mainstream institutions can learn off Aboriginal people about that knowledge and how to apply it in their regular business, um, then we're going to be a whole lot better off for all of us. Because actually improving Aboriginal health requires improving the whole health system. Because yep. the whole health system has got a lot of barriers. Well, every And everything <laughs> needs yeah. to be uplifted, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Carl... Can, can you talk about to us about what the strategy means for you and your hopes for the strategy? You know, the recent Closing the Gap report recently handed down by the Prime Minister found only two of the seven targets on track, you know, life expectancy and burden of disease. They remain higher than the rest of the population, you know. This is despite 12 years of little progress. progress. I suppose with this in mind... The strategy is working to unite the health sector towards positive and tangible change. Uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people cannot afford for this strategy just to gather dust like so many other strategies that have come before it. Mm. Before it. Yeah. Yeah. Going forward, I think the implementation of the strategy must be seen as a critical investment that will lead to long-term sustainable outcomes more than just uh, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health sector, but the wider professions as a whole, 
the health sector. Absolutely. See, we're not going to close the gap just by getting more Aborigines to eat fruit and vegetables and turn up to our appointments. Like, we're not actually the problem. Um, sure, there is a bit of that work that's got to be done, but actually the problem is that the white health system's disunified. Mm. So what we're trying to do is actually help the whole health system get unified and that'll improve health for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Greg, can you share any stories about memorable moments in this pathway to developing this strategy and your work so far on the group? Our first workshop that we had, Janine Muhammad, Romley Mokak, um, Carl... Um, the IHA people, uh, Roy and West, a whole bunch of us. It was about, I think, 40 people in the first workshop. Oh. And it was our first time meeting with um, staff from within APRA and with Joe Flynn. And we put on the table, you know, some of our concerns and what the sorts of things that we'd like to um, start a conversation about and that we wanted to work in a self-determining way. And um, to their credit, everyone in the room said, oh, that all sounds like a good idea, let's go. And Janine and I looked at each other when we walked out of the room and said, did that just happen? Was that, was that okay? Because we are so used to resistance at every step of the way that even having a workshop like that or being heard on an issue like self-determination is sadly still quite rare um, in the sorts of policy and, and structural change work that um, Carl and I and others do on a regular basis. So that's a really memorable moment and we thought, right, okay, we've got a chance at doing something here and working together. Probably the other one I, I reckon was the signing of a statement of intent. Um, we sort of were, had our head down and were busy beavering away on documents and getting ourselves sorted in our terms of reference and those sorts of things. Um, and um, we sort of were almost distracted by the launch of the Statement of Intent because we were so busy doing the work. But it was a really memorable moment, I think. I actually feel quite humbled, you know, to have a seat at the table and um, I'm just impressed by the passion and commitment you know, and goodwill of people that work tirelessly behind the scenes, you know, to ensure the development of initiatives like the, like the strategy. Uh, the for formation of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Strategy Group is co-chaired by an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander person and uh, a non-Indigenous person, you know. To me, that's like commitment from APRA to ensuring that this is a key priority. I suppose the other aspect that I, I found, you know, quite heartening is the development of the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Health Strategy Caucus Group. You know, this enables effective governance for, for us, but also it provides a safe place, you know, in order to conduct our business before going to the wider strategy group. So, Could, could you explain briefly what the caucus is, who that comprises? So the caucus, you know, are groups of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and other, other organisations that have specific expertise around, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultural safety or have already, you know, undertaken this in, within their professions. Mm. So this caucus, you know, meets to discuss, you know, their specific business um, in order to uh, put forward to the wider group or, you know, respond to questions asked by the wider group and, uh, yeah, so it just provides a really safe environment 
for us to conduct our business in a culturally safe manner. Now, Carl, let's look forward. Um, where do you see Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's health in 10 years' time and what role do you see APRA and the national boards playing in this? After another decade, I hope to see that there is change in the standards and quality and accessibility of healthcare for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And that this change, you know, is significant towards improving health outcomes for our people. Um, I suppose as the CEO of the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health Worker Association, I would also like to see the respect and recognition of this particular workforce that we have that has grown uh, of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health workers and practitioners really embedded into primary healthcare models across the country. You know, their contribution of clinical and non-clinical skills, along with the community, local community, and cultural knowledge, you know, makes them a valuable resource. It's their cultural intellect that they possess, you know, that cannot, it's not replica, cannot be replicated by mainstream. Over this time, uh, APRA and the national boards, you know, will look to continue to play a critical role, I think, um, and hold a responsibility for making the healthcare system even stronger in 10 years, um, ensuring the public are protected and the settings for health practitioners is a process of continual review, renewal and improvement. I want to see in 10 years that we um, have a health system free of racism um, and on the available evidence at the moment we know that that will account for at least a third of the gap. So to do that, um, in a practical sense, um, the scheme and APRA are going to have to cross all our T's and dot all the I's on consistency. I think if we're going to achieve that in the next um, you know, two to three years, let's say the short term, um, the medium term then is about rolling um, that kind of knowledge base and work out across the 750,000 um, existing practitioners. Um, and then, you know, I think also there's a very important role for the scheme and APRA to play in leadership with... Um, the other parts of the health system, so employers and health departments and hospitals and aged care service providers, etc., um, and also con talking to universities and um, and education providers. So I think if APRA can play a, a role in leading a consistency conversation across all those different parts of the health system, that means that in 10 years we're going to be closer to having a health system that's free of racism or at least, you know, um, a culturally safe health system. Um, that's going to have a specific impact on healthcare outcomes. Mm. I encourage everybody within the scheme to see this as a part of quality improvement and strengthening for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, this is not about special treatment for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. It is about responding, obviously, to the health statistics, but it's more critically about how all of us can uh, create a more unified and consistent health system, full stop. Mm. Thank you, first of all, for your time, Greg and Carl, to talk to us about this. But more importantly, thank you for your valuable work on the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Health and Cultural Safety Strategy on the on the group, and um, for 
really helping ARPA and the national boards be a regulator doing the important work that it needs to do. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Pleasure. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode. For more information and to read the strategy, please visit the ARPA website and search Cultural Health and Safety Strategy. If you have any comments, questions or suggestions, please get in touch at communications at arpra.gov.au. To make sure you hear our upcoming episodes, please subscribe to Taking Care in your podcast player. Thanks for listening.